The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank, the power of possible. Learn more at usbank.com newsroom. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, August 8th. In today's news, Rick Gates admits on the stand that he had an extramarital affair. Brett Kavanaugh would probably weaken affirmative action if he gets confirmed. And the head of the GSA misled Congress about Trump's role in killing the FBI's move to a new headquarters. But first, the big idea. Alarm bells ring for House Republicans. A tight special election between Democrat Danny O'Connor and Republican Troy Balderson in a deep red Ohio House district on Tuesday has reinforced a trend that's been developing for more than a year. Democrats are routinely beating their 2016 performance by double digits, putting the House within their grasp this November. In Ohio's 12th congressional district, which encompasses the northern suburbs of Columbus and rural areas to the east, voters preferred President Trump by 11 points two years ago. But with this special election too close to call early Wednesday morning, the voters there showed a marked shift away from the GOP. Republican Pat Tiberi, whose resignation to take a job leading the Ohio Business Roundtable prompted this special, won re-election by 37 points in 2016. Republicans dramatically outspent Democrats by millions, and Trump paid the Buckeye State a last-minute visit over the weekend. But despite all that, Balderson had just 1,700 more votes out of 200,000 cast. That's less than 1%. Democrats need a net gain of 23 seats to win the House. There are 72 Republican-held districts with partisan makeups that are more liberal than this district. Claiming victory and crediting his visit, Trump spiked the football. But the Republican governor, John Kasich, a leading never-Trump figure who used to represent this district in the House, was also a key factor that can't be dismissed. In Delaware County, a suburban Republican stronghold that has long been Kasich's base, several voters told reporters that they supported Balderson despite feeling uneasy with Trump because he had Kasich's blessing. Balderson's opponent, O'Connor, garnered 46% in Delaware County. That's seven points better than Hillary Clinton two years ago. The last Democratic presidential candidate to carry Delaware County was Woodrow Wilson back in 1916. This underscores the GOP's real challenges in the suburbs this fall. The same two candidates will face each other again in November. Elsewhere on Tuesday, the Democratic Party's left-wing insurgency found its limits, with voters favoring establishment candidates over more liberal challengers in almost every closely watched race. In Michigan, former state Senator Gretchen Whitmer easily won the Democratic nomination for governor over Abdul El Saeed, a doctor backed by Bernie Sanders, who was vying to become the country's first Muslim governor. There was also evidence elsewhere that 2018 truly is shaping up to be the year of the woman. In addition to Whitmer, state Senator Laura Kelly captured the Democratic nomination for governor in Kansas. The Republican primary for governor is still too close to call, with Chris Kobach neck and neck with the guy who replaced Sam Brownback. There are now 11 female nominees for governor, eight Democrats, and three Republicans. That eclipses the previous record of 10. A handful more are poised to win in the next couple weeks. Women also had a great night in House primaries. In the race to replace former Congressman John Conyers in Detroit, who retired because of mounting sexual harassment allegations, a former state representative named Rashida Tlaib secured the nomination for the heavily Democratic seat. 
That means she is now poised to become the first Muslim woman ever elected to Congress. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that ought to be on your radar this hump day. Number one, the courtroom showdown between former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort and his former business associate Rick Gates grew painfully personal when a defense lawyer forced Gates to admit to an extramarital affair. Gates, who was also a senior aide to Trump in 2016, began speaking in a quiet, strained voice. He said he had an affair 10 years ago in an apartment he kept in London. He testified that he used money which he had embezzled from Manafort to help fund these liaisons. The questioning was aimed at attacking Gates's credibility and buttressing the defense's strategy to paint him, not Manafort, as the real villain in the case. Gates admits he lied and submitted false documents, but insists he was following Manafort's instructions. He's expected to return to the witness stand today for a third day of cross-examination. Number two, civil rights advocates fear Brett Kavanaugh would weaken legal protections for minorities, including affirmative action, if he's confirmed to the Supreme Court. Interest groups on both sides say Kavanaugh could be the deciding vote conservatives have long been looking for to end affirmative action in college admissions. In particular, civil rights advocates point to an opinion he wrote in 2012 on the D.C. Circuit that allowed voter identification requirements in South Carolina, which were at the time opposed by the Obama Justice Department. In 1999, when Kavanaugh was a lawyer in private practice, he described a government program to help native Hawaiians as, quote, a naked racial spoils system. Using the language of the late Antonin Scalia, Kavanaugh wrote in a newspaper column that the Supreme Court would eventually and inevitably find that, quote, in the eyes of the government, we are just one race. Number three, the Trump-appointed chief of the General Services Administration likely misled Congress about the president's personal hands-on involvement in the FBI headquarters project. That's according to the draft of an inspector general report that was obtained by the Washington Post. Last year, the GSA and the FBI scrapped a long-delayed plan to build an FBI headquarters campus in the Washington suburbs in favor of a proposal to build a smaller headquarters in downtown D.C. The new proposal would also relocate some staff to Alabama, Idaho, and West Virginia. During testimony before the House Appropriations Committee in April, GSA Administrator Emily Murphy went out of her way under questioning to downplay the role of the White House in the decision-making process. But several reports have come out since then to show that Trump's intimately involved and has taken a personal interest in this headquarters. The inspector general's report states that Murphy's testimony was, quote, incomplete and may have left the misleading impression that she had no discussions with the president or senior White House officials about the project. The IG report will come out publicly in the next few weeks. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, August 8th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.